0: Ephesians chapter 6, and let's look at verse 18. Ephesians, the 6th chapter, says, Praying always with all manner prayer of prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, if you were to look up the word supplication, supplication simply means a humble, earnest entreaty or a request. You know, I believe this, if a, if a prayer is not heartfelt, if it's not fervent, if it's not done in an earnest manner, I don't believe it's supplication. But you and I have the privilege to make supplication. You can think and you can see throughout the Word of God how many times that we are exhorted to pray. One area that I really, really enjoy praying about is found in Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. How many of you know that the earnest, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available and it is dynamic in its working? And so the scripture says in Zechariah 10 and verse 1. It says that we are to ask something of the Lord. What are we to ask him for? We are to ask him for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. Now, why is it that you and I need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in manifestation and in this day and in this hour? Because quite frankly, without His help and without the reins of the Spirit and without Him, we can do nothing. And the Bible says that He is the husbandman in James and that He is patient and that He is... Um, waiting for something. And that which he is waiting for is for the precious fruit of the earth. You know, there's a harvest yet to come in. You know, I'm thankful for the harvest that has come in thus far, but there's more to come. And the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives now the early and the latter rain. And so it is important for us to ask him for rain in the time of the latter rain so that you and I might be reapers of the great harvest that the Father is waiting for. There's a harvest out there of souls. But not only is there a harvest of souls, There's a harvest of healing and miracles yet to happen. I just want to ask you something tonight. Anybody, know anybody that needs a supernatural touch of divine healing in their bodies? I mean, that's just about 100%. We need to be contending for, believing for praying for the supernatural intervention of Almighty God in the land of our lives and in the land in which we live today. Amen? Amen. I want you to look at something tonight. I want you to look over at Habakkuk chapter 3. And I want us to notice something in verse 2. First of all, we'll look at it. In the King James Version, I'm sensing in my spirit a move of prayer. You know, it's one thing to pray as a church, but it's another thing to have a move of prayer. A move is prayer where you just, I mean, you can hardly wait to pray. A move of prayer is something that comes only by the Holy Spirit. But it comes in response to hungry hearts. I'm hungry for a move of prayer in my own life. Are you hungry for a move of prayer in your own life? You see, all of us have what the Bible calls the individual unction, the individual anointing. And on a individual level, we should be cultivating and developing a greater hunger for the word of God. And a greater hunger to commune with him and to fellowship with him. You know, he said in his word, if you will come close to me, I'll come close to you. And so our lives then are in part made up of a continuous drawing near to him. You see, the Bible says that we have been called to fellowship. Of course, that's in 1 Corinthians one nine, But when he says, I've called you to fellowship, the Greek points out, I'm calling you in a loud voice. Oh, I like it. Wow. Amen. And I'm calling you in a loud voice, and I'm calling my whole body in a loud voice, not just into fellowship, but into intimacy with me. Yes. That's awesome. Amen. And so individually, we pray for a move. But then... We have a corporate anointing as well, where we come together and we assemble ourselves together unto him. And there is a drawing nigh, and we need to be praying for a move of prayer in this place. See, here's what will happen. Like my good friend Mark Brzee says, he said, a prayer move will produce a rain move. And then he said, a rain move will produce a mighty harvest. Just pray about it right now with me. Say, Lord God, may we have in our individual lives and in the life of our church, a move of prayer. Say it with me. I invite you to move in me, to come upon me as you will, and I will move. In the spirit of prayer. I believe this. That God is pulling prayers out of the closet. And not only that. But in this move of prayer Tony. I believe that we're going to see more men praying. And I believe that we're going to see a revival. Of a move of prayer. Among the men in this church. And I'm not here to. Elevate the woman and put down the men because they don't pray as much as women do like, you know, happens in a lot of services. But men of God, it's time for us to stand up and step in into the move of prayer. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. God is looking for some prayers. And I believe with all of my heart that our generation will have his manifestation. It's not going to be something eerie and all weird and all spooky natural. The supernatural is not necessarily spectacular. But the supernatural is God's power. Is God's presence. And is his will. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2. Oh Lord, I've heard your speech. And I was afraid. Oh Lord, revive your work in me in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. And in wrath, remember mercy. (laughs) You know, there's a judgment side of God. There is the wrath of God. But I believe that we can pray for mercy. And mercy always triumphs over judgment. But here's what I want you to see. Verse 3. God came from Timon. And the Holy One from Mount Perrin said. Selah. His glory covers the earth. Now notice. And the earth was full of praise. When you have a move of prayer, you will also have a move of praise. Because prayer and praise always go together. Now I want, you, I want to read this from the message translation. This is a really awesome translation. So I'll wait a moment till they can pull it up in Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 1 and 2. A prayer of the prophet Habakkuk with orchestra. I've heard what your ancestors say about you. And I am stopped in my tracks. And I'm down on my knees. I've heard of great past revivals. I've heard what the Lord has done. I've seen what the Lord has done in a measure, in a degree. But in looking back at past revivals... I tell you what, it puts me on my knees, not for a past revival, but for a fresh revival in the land today. It stopped me in my tracks. Down on my knees. Do among us what you did among them. Raise your hand and say, Oh God, do among us what you did. Among them. Oh man, you could shout about what he did. Notice this work among us as you worked among them. And as you bring judgment, as surely you must, remember the mercy of the Lord. And so we don't want to get real. Termsy when it comes to the subject of prayer because when you have the spirit of prayer a lot of the different types of prayers just kind of flow together as you flow in the spirit, right? And so supplication is is one aspect of prayer It's it's an asking it's something that we can pray for one another you know, you can make supplication for your pastor at any time I'm making supplication for you I think that prayer ought to be a two-way street. I pray for you, you pray for me. Such a deal. But you know what? You don't have to be an ardent uh, person of prayer to pray scripturally. Because all prayer is always based on the Word. And all prayer that is by the Spirit will always line itself up with the Word. And one way that you can pray for one another is you can pray those Ephesians prayers. That's right. That's right. Let me illustrate to you. Say, I'm going to pray for the congregation. And I'm saying, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that the God of my Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, that you give unto the saints at heart of the bay the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Lord, may the eyes of their understanding be flooded with light. May they know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And Lord, let them see, let them get a glimpse of your resurrection power. That same power that you utilize when you raise Jesus from the dead. It is toward them if they'll just only believe. Help them to see, Lord. That the circumstances around them are already, literally, legally under their feet. See, that's a prayer of supplication. And we can pray that for one another. But then there is, as we started out last week, there is the prayer of intercession. And intercession, simply defined, means this, is that we stand in the gap. That we stand in the gap. We stand in between God and the lost. We stand between God and those that don't know how to stand for themselves. And we cry out with the cry of faith and with the spirit of faith. God have mercy. And we notice this in the word of God that in the Bible, we see different cries. In Genesis 4, there was the cry of Abel's blood that came up from the ground as a result of Cain taking his brother's life. It was crying out to the father. When God came down... And spoke to his covenant man, Abraham, concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, shall I hide the thing from my friend, Abraham, of that which I'm about to do? He said to Abraham, he said, the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah has come up before me. And he says, I am come down now to destroy them to judge them there is the cry of faith but there is also the cry of sin and it comes up before god and it provokes him and he does not delight in judgment no he doesn't no he doesn't when The bottomless pit is opened and people are going to be pouring into the lake of fire by the millions. God is not going to be sitting there with a senator's smile on his face. It grieves the heart of God. But sin provokes him. And it cries out for judgment. But then... There's the cry of the intercessors. There's a cry of a remnant here in the Bay Area. It's not just this church. But it's the cry of those that are in right standing with God who bless God, know how to pray. They are the salt of the earth. They are the light of the world. And they're holding on to souls and they're crying out for mercy. And that's what we're doing. And that's what we've been doing. And that's what we're going to do. Because the Bible says that he would have every man to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And you can see this principle over and over again in the word of God. Abraham, you know, he said, you know, if there's 50 righteous, would you spare it? 45. Yeah. 40. Yeah. How many did he get down to? Got down to 10. I believe that if he'd gotten down to one. God would have said yes. Now I want us to look at another one tonight. Let's look over at the book of Exodus. Everyone say Exodus. And you're saying, well, what's that got to do with me? Everything. What's that got to do with the move of prayer? I thought we'd just come together and get blessed. And just get the holy giggles and roll on the floor. I'm all for the holy giggles. I'm all for holy laughter. I can shout with the best of you. I can run better than most of you. But it ain't just about running. It ain't just about shouting. And it ain't just about laughter. We'll have that. That's a byproduct of it. But part of a corporate move of prayer is to call out on behalf of a nation that in the natural realm doesn't deserve it. because of the mutilation that we've seen over the years of all the babies killed, murdered, Are you kidding me? If it weren't for the righteous in this nation, this place would have burned. But God, but God God, who is rich in his mercy. And so in a move of prayer, you'll have some radical praying. You'll have some holding on to God for a nation. You'll have some praying for mercy for people who are so blind that if something doesn't happen, they're not going to make it. But the prayer of intercession and standing in the gap, I have discovered, is not just for the lost, it's also for backslidden Christians. For people who used to 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 come to the house of God and Enjoy the presence of God. But somehow or another, they've been wooed by the spirit of this world and the spirit of this age. We need to be crying out for the prodigals. And when the prodigals come home, we ought to be showing mercy to them. Amen? Hope this isn't too heavy for you tonight. Why should we pray? Wesley said years ago, he said, it seems... As if God is limited by our prayer life. That he can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him. He's waiting for us to ask. I'm reading now from Brother Hagen's book, The Art of Prayer. And I'm quoting, he says, even ministers say, God has everything under control. He's running everything. Well, he said if he is, he sure has things in a mess. Because people are killing each other. Little children are dying. Little children are hungry. Women are suffering. There's wars everywhere. Quote If God has everything under control, do you mean God is running those wars? No, God is not ruling this world. He's not ruling this earth. Thank God one day He will it's easy to see if you look at it with spiritual eyesight that in the beginning God made his man Adam and he placed him in the garden and he gave him dominion in other words God says look I'm giving you the lease and then Satan comes along what did Adam do? he sublet it to Satan right? right? Then Jesus came and destroyed the works of the devil, took the crown and the keys off the enemy and placed it on man once again. And it is only those who are blood-bought and who exercise their rights and privileges in Christ Jesus, it is only them that are going to rule and reign in this life. And the more knowledge that we have and the more revelation we have concerning the authority of the believer, the more responsibility we have to walk in it. Quite frankly, dear saints, you and I have much more authority than we've exercised at this point. Say it with me. I have authority in the name of Jesus. I have dominion over all the works of the enemy. Okay, now, let's look at another one of these. Let's look over at Moses. We talked briefly about Abraham last week. Let's look over at uh, some things about Moses. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 7, I want you to look at that. Exodus 32, verse 7. So when you're praying in a move of prayer, you'll always pray on the mercy side, right? For the backsliders. For the downtrodden like I said Sunday we are the repairs of the breach and what we're crying out for is restoration Abraham was crying out for mercy for Sodom and Gomorrah let us stand in the gap Exodus 32 verse 7 ready read go ahead read and the Lord said unto Moses get thee down for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted them. it's kind of interesting That God is sort of passing the buck here. He says to Moses, get thee down now. They're your people. Verse 8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, what kind of people were they? Yeah. Stiff-necked. Now verse 10, he says, now therefore, just let me alone. You ever felt like that? Maybe with your kids. I felt that way before. He says, now therefore, just, just let me alone. That my wrath May wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. In other words, Moses, it's going to be all right with you, but something's got to be done with these stiff necked people. Is God ticked? Yes, he is. And why is he ticked? Maybe that's not a very honorable word to use in the pulpit. Is God upset? His wrath is kindled. That's King James. That might be a little better. He's upset. He's provoked. After everything that he did for them, they go and they start worshiping some stupid cow. Okay? And he says, Moses, do your people. But let's get rid of them, and I'll make of you a great nation. Now notice this in verse 11. This is covenant talk. This is intercession. And this is what we do. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath wax hot against your people? (laughs) Lord, they're your people. They're not my people. It wasn't my idea. It was your idea. Memoir. Which, they're your people, and you're the one that brought them out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. He's standing in the gap. Wherefore, should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Lord, turn from thy fierce wrath. Can you imagine And repent of this evil against your people. He's asking God to change his mind. God fully intended for them to be crispy critters. And Moses is standing there. He said that your people, you brought them out. I'm praying that you'll change your mind. Verse 13. Remember Abraham? See, there's nothing wrong with you as a Christian putting God into remembrance of what he said. Amen? He knows what he said. But you can put him into remembrance and you can plead the case of another based on covenant talk and based on the word of god that's powerful that's authority he says remember isaac and abraham and israel your servants to whom you swear by that own self and said unto them i'm going to multiply your seed as the stars of heaven in all this land that I have spoken of, I will give unto your seed, and they shall inherit forever. Verse 14, read it with me. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Do you suppose we can stay some judgment in America? Do you suppose we can stay some judgment in the Bay Area? I believe we can. And I believe that we must. We must not be like the middle church. The middle church will be disappearing in days ahead. The middle church is made up of spiritual milk toasts who have watered down the word of God, afraid to talk about the virgin birth, afraid to talk about the blood of Jesus. So afraid... To offend anybody. Now, I believe this that we are a church that is a friendly church. But I do not want sinners to feel completely comfortable in this place. Are you listening to me? Now, I know the Holy Spirit is a comforter, and I know. That he will convict people of their sin. The word has got to be preached. And the truth will always set people free. But the middle church that's so afraid, you know, thank God for skits, thank God for multimedia, all that stuff is awesome. But my brothers and sisters, It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation that will literally change people's lives. I am not looking for converts at this altar. I'm looking for new births. I'm not looking for people that will get under pressure during an altar call and feel like they got to come up because grandma's pulling their arm. But I am looking for... A church that will pray and birth people into the kingdom of God. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. And you will see in a real move of God, in a real revival, you'll see the people that come to the altar, bless God, they'll stick. And that doesn't mean you won't have classes and doesn't mean you will not have babies and, you know, you'll need to change diapers and all those things. I understand that. I understand maturity and discipleship very well. But I do know one thing. When a person really gets born again and they get under the spout where the glory comes out, they're no longer addicted. They're free. They don't need a support group for everything under the sun. They're supported by the Most High God, and underneath are His everlasting arms, and He's upholding all things by the power. Yeah, that's right. I am a preacher of righteousness, and I thank God for it. And I'll tell you something else the church is responsible, I'm responsible. And you who are elders in this church have been around for long periods of time, you're responsible to pray for these people once they get born again. See, Paul said this in Galatians 4.19. Let's put it up there. In Galatians 4.19, he says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until... Christ be formed in you. We need to be praying, praying for the formation of the qualities of Christ in the people that get born again at these altars. Amen. I think most of you are with me. I hope so. I used to say, you know I'm, if you're not shouting with me, I'm going to call my mom, but I can't call her now. she's gone. Back to Exodus 32. All right, is it... What, what chapter did I say? Chapter 32, chapter 32 verse 31 uh, and 32. All right, so we see this principle of intercession. We see people standing in the gap. Moses standing in the gap. In verse 31 of Exodus 32. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin... And have made them gods of gold. Yet now if you will forgive their sin. But if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Man, that's commitment, isn't it? You say, Lord, if you're not going to change your mind, just cook me too. In other words, I'm not separating myself from these people. And listen. To be a prayer and to be one with the great intercessor of all kind, you've got to identify with the people that you're praying for. Now, by that, I do not mean that you go and are involved in the same things, but there's got to be a compassion that you're moved with toward the lost, toward the sick, and toward the hurting. Turn with me quickly to Numbers 14, verse 11 through 19. Say it with me, I am a prayer... And I purpose in my heart as I am moving in prayer to be a stander in the gap crying out for mercy. You don't know someone might have cried out for mercy for you. When I look back and see what I was involved in someone had to be praying. Someone had to be praying. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 11 through 19, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, I will smite them with pestilence and disherit them, and I will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than thee. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for you brought this people in thy might among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that thou, Lord, among the people, that thou, Lord, seem to the face to face, and that thy cloud stands over them, and that thou goest before them by day and a pillar by cloud and fire by night. Now, if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard of the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he swore to them. Therefore, he has slain them in the which he sware unto them. Therefore, he has slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech you, here's intercession. Let your power be great according as you have spoken. For you are long-suffering, you are of great mercy, and you forgive iniquity and transgression, and by no means you clear in the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your mercy, as you have forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. And then in closing, look with me at Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, and Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. You see, Moses stood in the breach to turn away the wrath of God. Otherwise they would have been destroyed. Ezekiel 33 11. Read that with me. Ezekiel 33.11, is that it? Okay, let me read what I've got. Say unto them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn away his, his way and live. Turn ye, turn from your evil ways, for why will you die? O house of Israel. And then lastly, in Ezekiel 22, verse 13, 31, everyone stand to their feet right now. We're going to pray just for a moment tonight. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 13, 31. I believe God's looking for a people that'll pray. Amen. Hallelujah. He said, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and do what? Stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But unfortunately, he said, I didn't find any. Verse 31, he said, Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, says the Lord God. Now notice with me in verse 30 again. Let's rewind that right now. Let's bring this into 2012. That was then, but today's a new day. I said, today's a new day. I said, today's a new day. This is the day that the Lord has made. And God is saying, my eyes are looking to and fro throughout the whole earth. I'm looking for men and women among you that will stand up and stand in the gap and make up the hedge before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But you know what? He can't see. He hasn't found any because he's found us. He's found every one of us. So I'm going to ask all of you to come to the altar right now.